Welcome back to That Was The Worst Podcast Ever, a podcast where two pals talk about Sufjan Stevens and themselves, both with an, a surprisingly inadequate amount of knowledge. Um, <laughs> it's true. How are you doing, Justo? Or no, sorry, I, I'm Jordan. Oh, I'm Justin. <laughs> We've never done that before, but I like it. Um, good. You know, this morning... Uh, I take Fridays off. I took it nice and slow. I listened to a lot of Carrie and Lowell. I was getting real kind of deep into it, deep into my thoughts. I recited some lyrics for Courtney, my mainstream wife, and we I got a little teared up. Um, I treated myself with a, a little uh, uh, Egg McMuffin and from McDonald's this morning. How much fast food do you eat? You know, I try to, I've tried to limit it. Between I was a ve- I was actually a vegan for a good chunk of last year. My good junk chunk. How much? Do you, how much time do you mean? Well, I started before the pandemic, around in January, and mm-hmm. I think I got maybe six months of being a vegan. Wow. So, but I must say, a McDonald's breakfast is such just a little joy, a little simple pleasure of life, like. Just getting an egg McMuffin, like I just needed that this morning. I just needed a little, a little treat, and it, an egg McMuffin is perfect. Yeah, I I haven't eaten McDonald's. Well, that's not true actually. I, I picked up a McDonald's burger like a couple months ago. On I was at a late night poker game, and uh, <laughs> I picked <laughs> I picked one up because I was really hungry, but. I just don't really like fast food that much. I, it's oh, not even like a matter what has of happened like. to you? It's just so, it just makes me feel so bad. It does. But Egg McMuffins, it, that's a fresh cracked egg. Most of it, it's the least bad feeling thing you can eat at McDonald's. That's my theory. That's a real cracked egg? Like they bring in real eggs? It's not just like a formula that they dump Jordan. into onto the grill? Jordan, get in, go get an Egg McMuffin after this. That is a fresh cracked egg on the griddle made to order. <laughs> I I don't think you're right. I well, think I think that it's like a it's like a they get it in bags and it's like a, a formula that they pour into. Sure. You don't watch enough network TV either. It's in the commercials. There's a guy he cracks the egg in the commercial. Okay. But Listeners, what do you have any you opinion on this? T-W-T-P-E at gmail.com. Write us a response. Do you know how McDonald's is? How artificial is our McDonald's um, breakfast sandwiches? Oh, and it would be great if you've worked at McDonald's and you can give us like oh, that yeah. inside scoop. What, did I get the address right? T-W-T-W-P-E? Yeah, that was the worst podcast ever. Yeah, okay. Just T, yeah. But, George, what happened to you? Do you remember when you used to make Hamburger Helper and that was your dinner? Like, is that version of you dead? Yeah, I mean, I turned 30 and suddenly I was like, oh, my metabolism doesn't rush like a mighty river anymore. It's like a, it's actually like a bog and I have to, like, do a lot of work <laughs> to try and let the water go, you know? So, I know, what is it about turning 30? And to any of our young listeners out there, live it up until you're 30. Like, eat 
eat what you want. Because when you're 30, you start to feel everything you eat. Yeah. Like, one time I got Taco Bell, and I, I felt like I was in a rage. Like, <laughs> it just put me in a mood. And I was like, I can't, even, I can't eat Taco Bell anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, it was like... I was always so I never thought about what I ate like you like you said hamburger helper even like for for a while when I moved to Vancouver I guess in 2010 or 2011 I would just do this meal this is I ate this so much I'd get frozen like um McCain's hash browns from, <laughs> yeah. from superstore and then just like I, I'd be like I'm gonna eat healthy tonight so I'd get ground beef McCain's hash browns and then I'd get like a red pepper and maybe like an onion be like those are my veggies and then I would like make this like kind of stir fry with all that stuff. And it's so heavy. And like I'd eat that like every night. That's a weird meal. That is a weird recipe. <laughs> ground ground beef and hash browns just mixing it all together with some red pepper? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I would like, you know, mix up the veggies. like, But the base would be mccain's hash browns and ground beef yeah i don't know it was just easy to make or something i also used to do you have annie's there yeah yeah so i i used to eat a lot of annie's actually that's still kind of my like indulgence if i have like an indulgent lunch it'll be annie's are you talking about annie's like mac and cheese yeah yeah it, because it's like supposed to be healthy but it's just craft <laughs> dinner isn't it it tastes better than Kraft Dinner. The cheese sauce tastes better. It's gotta. Like, the Kraft Dinner cheese sauce is like, it's like they just melted down a bunch of Kraft's thin slices, you know, those. Oh. <laughs> you know what's so funny is you're like disdain for McDonald's, but a box of mac and cheese is so disgusting. Even Annie's, like, powder cheese is so <laughs> gross to me now. I just said it. it's my guilty pleasure. It's not like I'm like, it's not like I eat it all the time. Yeah, well, an Egg McMuffin's my guilty pleasure. Okay. I just get the feeling that you eat a lot. Like we had the Costco hot dog conversation. It just sounds like yes. you you eat it's, fast food a lot. It's life simple pleasures. <laughs> like for me, there's not that much. There's not that much pleasure. You know, you got to find it somewhere. And it's it's not like I'm not finding it in 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 like the bottom of a bottle. It's just I get a hot dog and an egg McMuffin every once in a while. Right, because food addiction isn't a thing. <laughs> Um, but no, actually it was a problem when I first moved to Canada, I, I gained a lot, a lot of weight and it was because I just, my favorite thing in the world was just pick up some delicious drive through and just sit in my car. And to be honest, how else do you get through a win Calgary with winter? Yeah. You got to do something. But see to me, like, I mean, oh man, I don't, I was just telling Justin before we started talking here that I feel like sometimes when I listen back, I'm like, oh, I sound really pretentious. I sound like a bit of a wiener. In fact, my wife the other day was like, Jordan, you sound like a wiener. Um, anyway, um, what I was going to say is like, and this is really true. This is sincere. I'm not trying to be cool. It's I, fine. I really do think that like there are better options that are just more satisfying. They don't make you feel like crap and they taste better. Like here, we, Olivia and my favorite place to go, there's this um, Mexican place called Sally Limon. If we want fast food, that's where we'll always go. It's it's not really fast food. It's like a $10 burrito. But it's like, wow. It's like everyone who works there, I think is El Salvadorian. It's like, you know, really, really good. And also like quality ingredients. And I don't feel like crap after. Yeah, but you live in Vancouver. 
They like you I live stuff in like the that suburbs in Calgary. of Calgary. I don't have any. If you're willing like to that. drive all the way to Costco for a hot dog, you can drive <laughs> down to Kensington and get something cool. Well, I don't know if this is the case in Vancouver, but in Calgary, no matter what, Mexican food is a disappointment. Yeah. Always. Like it goes when it something happens across when you cross the border you like sign a little piece of paper that says you must promise now that you're in Canada not to make authentic and good Mexican food. Like I feel like there's a conspiracy. Like I I have yet to find Mexican food that hits that spot. Yeah. Like like in Southern California, Los Mariachis right down the street from my house. Little $5 burrito. It's the best thing you can ever eat. Here up here in Canada, mucho burrito. What is that? I don't even know what that is. They're trying to do little pieces of squash and quinoa in their burrito. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, in Vancouver, we have a few options. Yeah, I think a lot of it is like, is it people, Is the, are the people who are making it, I don't know, is it like close to home, you know? It, does Maybe it, it's just not getting the right ingredients. Jordan, Taco Bell isn't even good up here. Like, have you ever had an American Taco Bell? Yeah, do you know what? I actually, okay, I never told you this, but... <laughs> We never talked about this actually on the podcast, but last time I was in LA on a writing trip, I stayed with your mom. That's um, right. Justin, or with Justin's parents, your dad was away, but um, yeah, in their guest room. And so, and I had remembered you saying Taco Bell is way better in SoCal. And so good, I was like, good. I was like, I'm going to go pick up some Taco Bell. And I ate it and I was like, this is not that good. Jordan. This is still bad. Like I would... I was in LA, like, why wouldn't I go, like you just said, like, get a just as cheap, authentic <laughs> That's true. taco. Why would I go to Taco Bell? That's true. There are two different things. Sometimes you crave the authentic, and sometimes you're like, I just want a Taco Bell. Okay, I get that. It's that that's kind of like, to me, like, I kind of like Tim Horton's coffee. It's like, I, I'm not drinking Tim Horton's coffee because I'm like... I, I'm like looking for the notes, you know, the tasting notes. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I just want this thing. Uh, it, to me, it's more kind of like coffee flavored hot beverage. You yeah. know, I get, and it costs seventy five cents. Yeah, and you can get it anywhere. Tim yeah. Hortons is a Canadian institution. If you're listening down from the states, it's so it's not that good. Like when no. I first had it, I did not get why this is such a big deal up in Canada. Yeah, it's a Dunkin' Donuts. I mean. Kind no, no. Oh, how I can't believe you just said that. It's a Dunkin'. It's coffee, and then, and something happened to Tim Hortons. At Jordan, their food is so bad now. <laughs> I don't know what you don't, you don't think Hortons, their donuts are good. Somebody, listen. What happened to your food when I first arrived in Canada? It was good. What did you guys do? You messed up. You know, you messed up, Tim Hortons. You know, you're actually right. I, I went to a Tim Hortons the other day. I ordered one of my favorite Sammies. It's a turkey bacon club, and I was like, I got it, and it's just not the same sandwich I used to have. It didn't have the honey mustard sauce on it anymore, <laughs> and I was so upset. And I and actually, the next time I went back there, because I went, I, I'm exposing myself as someone who eats more fast food than I let on. But um, the next time I went back through, I was like, um, could I get a turkey bacon club? And could I get honey mustard, please, sauce on that? And she was like, oh, we don't do that anymore. We don't carry that in any of our stores anymore. 
as if it was like a i was like maybe someone's allergic to the it or something but that honey mustard sauce was the bomb i can i can verify that that honey mustard it was almost like wasn't it a strange yellow like yeah very strange yellow very color. yellow weirdly yellow very weirdly yellow but it really made that sandwich pop yeah <laughs> now it's just salty it's just salty meat packaged meat sure i gotta be honest Canada just isn't known for food. <gasps> How could you say these things? You know that when you go down to the States, there's something magical down there. Um, yeah, there's something magical. And that's why, let's just say you, your average person has a little <laughs> bit more around the belt line. <laughs> <laughs> than Canada. It's... Like, have you ever eaten at a Boston pizza and you got your bill and you just said, that was a wonderful experience? <laughs> Were you ever like, the food was good, it was, there was good value there, and you get into your car and you go, what, you know what, I would love to come back to a Boston pizza. Like, has that ever happened to you in your life? Uh, no, like, uh, so sometimes on, the, sometimes on tour, it's a good place to go because they're open late too. Yeah, it's not um, a place you want to go. It's like but I somebody never, in your family is like... I would never go out for dinner and be like, let's go to Boston Pizza. Like, Boston Pizza is pure efficiency. Like, and oh man, I'm so sorry if you love to go to Boston Pizza, for, if that's your family night out or something. But I'm telling you, um, for me, it's like, for me and Olivia will be like, oh, there's this great Asian place that we want to check out. And it's like, really great. And yeah. But you, your mother-in-law, did she ever go, oh, let's meet at Boston Pizza? Yeah. And you just got to go. Or, um, yeah, Original Joe's or something. Yeah. Yeah. The, these are all Canadian chains if you're listening from the States. And they're all bad. They're just all bad. Although, did you know that A&W in Canada is, like, incredible? Yeah, it is good. A&W, that's my only saving grace is yeah. they got biodegradable stuff. They're making... It's almost like they're making root beer in the back. Like, I don't know what's going on. It's a great, that's a great Canadian establishment, AW. Yeah. I think the reason why you might feel this is that in America, it's still, they cling, they cling to their ability to be able to just make the wrong choices as long as it's <laughs> their choice, you know? So everywhere you go, it's like, hey, this is like maybe slightly poisonous. Let's put it in the food. Because it tastes better. In Canada, yeah. you're not allowed to do that. There's actually like a lot of rules about what you're allowed to put in your food if you're feeding it to the public, which mm, I think is a good thing. And that's probably what you're complaining about. So, okay, so I, I think this, I can already tell this is probably going to be a way that we disagree. Because I actually think there are, it's an important expense to me, actually. Like when we budget, we budget for eating out because... I think it's just so improves my quality of life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, like, actually, this this is the, our most infamous one. But we we went to Italy. I, I got like a big surprise check, um, music check, a few years back, and we went to Italy, put a bunch of money aside, and we actually set a thousand dollars aside for a meal. We went, okay. Oh, what? <laughs> for one, did you go to that like the best restaurant in the world, like that guy? No. Mossimo? 
No, we didn't go there. No, this was a Mich- It was a Michelin star. It had they had two Michelin stars. It was called Il Pagliaccio in in Rome. Wow. And we just did the whole thing. I think we ended up spending about six or seven hundred bucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? I, 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 no, I, that's. I can honestly say it's like one of my favorite experiences of my life. Like it was so so good. It was like twelve courses. It was like everything like that there's a waiter for like just the bread like the like a guy comes around and, and you get a whole tray like these are just these are just breads to dip in your sauces as you're like eating like <laughs> it is such a comprehensive experience and at the end you're so full and happy and you drink the most amazing wine it was just such a magical night and to, to us it was worth it and were you looking at like the italian countryside as well well it, this was in rome so it was in a city Oh wow! Yeah, George, why didn't you? Why did you take me to Rome? Why? How come I'm not getting the invite? Because you'd probably be like, "Oh, Courtney says I can't go because I, <laughs> <laughs> I have to stay here and make vegan food." Uh, Courtney says I can't go. I guess I have a commitment as a father to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. By the way, that's you shouldn't go. I don't know why you'd. That's a little bit creepy that you'd want to go with me and my wife to. Just, just me, you and Olivia. You're like, we set aside. You're like, you're like, listen, Olivia. I'm so sorry. He really invited himself here tonight. <laughs> wow, that sounds amazing. It was really cool. Yeah. So I, and that's not to say like I also know like we don't have kids, and so our lives we have like a lot of privileges, and but. I do, we do really love like eating out is like really special the other day. And also it's a fun thing to do together. Like we'll be like, Hey, there's that noodle place that just opened. Like, let's go. The other day we walked to this place called fat mound. We're like, let's try it out. And we, it was a hit. We, wow. we did take out, we brought it home. We were like, these, this is awesome. We have to go back. So we almost have like this list of our favorite places to go. Wow. No, Jor, no shade. I love it so much. But man, the contrast from my life. The closest thing I have that to compare that to is like last week, Courtney and I looked at each other and was like, we're just so tired. We don't want to cook dinner. And it's like, let's order Swiss chalet. <laughs> <laughs> Swiss chalet is like a rotisserie chicken place in Canada. Yeah, you that, guys are a, totally a Swiss chalet kind of family. Yeah, and then I go pick up Swiss chalet, and it's just because of the pandemic, it's just tables with like paper bags on them with orders. And it's this like 40 year old woman, like almost in tears, just being like, Does this look like a half a chicken meal to you? <laughs> and it's just like these poor people like sweating and running around. And uh, yeah, and then, but 30 bucks. $30 and I get to feed my whole family and there's wow, a, they get a couple green beans in their body. Yeah. That's all I can ask for. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. When was the last time you've been to Swiss Chalet, Jor? Oh, when I lived in Calgary for sure. Really? Yeah. Do they even have them in Vancouver? I don't, I've never seen one. <laughs> like, <laughs> so sometimes, so you're right about A&W. Sometimes I do hit up an A&Dubs. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't, I, again, like, I don't want to sound like a wiener, but I, I really, we don't go to chains that much because I just yeah. don't think the quality is as good. And there's, there's so many options. There's, there's got to be options in Calgary. Okay. Anyone on this 
everyone listening to this podcast who lives in Calgary, can you hit us up with some great Calgary restaurant recommendations? They, I already know them, Jordan. Well, then why are you still going to Swiss because Chalet? Because they're pretentious and they are overbloated. They're not fun. You have to go downtown and you got to sit there and you got to get a babysitter and the food isn't even that good. Uh, let me just say, even the, I'm going to throw shade on all of Calgary. It, it's none of it's good. <laughs> Really? <laughs> I mean, we've been down. To, we've tried it. I mean, it is fun, but I don't know. George, I have a joke. Okay. I think it'd be funny if you're like, yeah, the last time I was at Swiss Chalet, it was a Swiss Chalet. <laughs> like it was a chalet in Switzerland. <laughs> yeah. But the problem is, is that there are still chalets in Switzerland. So it's not like it's a historic <laughs> context. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well... All that to say, Jor, get an Egg McMuffin. Okay. It'll brighten up your day. Trust me. Okay. And they serve it all day now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what about you? What did you do this morning? What's your morning routine? Um, I woke up. I groaned because I have a toothache right now. Um, Pops Madvilles. Uh, I always make coffee. Um... That's like my You're a third order. wave guy. You're a third wave guy that will do Tim Hortons, which is cool. You know, I like to I like to um jump sides. I like to hop over both sides of the fence. Can I guess? Are you let me guess. You do a little Chemex. You got like that little kettle with the tiny little spout coming <laughs> over it and you do a little pour around little paper and it's a little wood thing. You're a Chemex. You're doing Chemex. Am I right? Yes. Am I, did, was I spot on? Yeah. Yes. And actually, we just went back to paper filters because honestly, they're just so much better. What were you doing before? We had a metal filter because we thought it was oh. more environmentally sound, but we found out it's not. It's not environmentally sound? It's not more environmentally sound, no. Yeah. No, paper. Because, pa- because the paper tree. filters can com- <laughs> are compostable. Um, and it's just so much better. But anyway, uh, yeah, I do do that, you asshole. Also, <laughs> here's here's the thing about that I find so funny that people kind of make fun of that is like, it's could you actually be any more basic? In I mean, like my method is so basic. I'm literally just taking the filter, like a piece of paper, and I'm folding it myself. Then I'm putting it into this into this jug dumping the grinds in and then just pouring water over it. Like yeah. that is way You're, more of a simple process than like people who have like a, a machine that like p- gathers up steam and it goes through and all that stuff. Or it's like, Ooh, you pour water onto coffee. I have a plastic pod that was manufactured six months ago that I <laughs> shove into a machine. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. What I think is funny is that like Chemex is actually what used to be how people made coffee when they were camping. It's actually like a really kind of like, like I get there's a lot of things that kind of like whatever hipster culture does that is just a little overblown and too involved and too detail oriented. But there are some things where I'm like, this is actually more simple and in some ways more conservative. Yes. Oh, obviously. Yeah. But tell me this. You got the kettle with that little spout coming out of it. Yeah. 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 You do. Yeah. I love it. What you is got, it called it's again? that little tiny The duck neck spout. or gooseneck? Gooseneck, yeah. Well, because it, you, we can put the exact temperature in and then it will heat it to that exact temperature that we want. 
because you don't want your water too hot right you don't want it to boil you know what i have i got the kettle i got for my wedding it's a plastic thing you can't control the temperature (laughs) and it burns all the coffee (laughs) (laughs) yeah i bring my i bring my kettle up to 93 and then pour and pour and you're getting your beans from some Vancouver thing. What is that supposed to mean? Some like place down the street and it has some wood has down some the wood. street. There's a Tim Hortons down the street from you. No, this is can I guess where you go? Okay. It's like a wide open space and all the seats are like tree trunks. <laughs> they're just like raw tree trunks scattered around that you can sit on no, that's but all... it's all communal you don't get your own table you just sit <laughs> a, you have to sit next to a guy on a laptop and headphones on and he's like writing a paper or something oh sorry the phone's ringing um no that's a little 2014 to be honest um no. <laughs> <laughs> i know it's like that's already too old <laughs> yeah what is it now i haven't darkened the door in a while well, it is a lot. I, so I think that like minimalism is very out now, like just kind of white and plain. That was really big for a while. White and wood was like everything. Yeah. And now I see a lot more like dark walls, like dark gray, dark green, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but anyway, I want to just say we get our coffee from what I think is a more middle of the road option because it's less expensive for more beans. It's called mm-hmm. JJ Bean. And it is actually a chain in Vancouver, um, but yeah, they it's it's a good way to go. Sometimes my actually like so for for my birthday, Olivia drove to North Van and picked me up these special beans from this place I really like, and they're actually aged in barrels, like aged in bourbon barrels. These beans. <laughs> wow, is it amazing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think they're. It's like some of the best coffee I've ever had. It's aged in a barrel. Does it taste like whiskey or something? So the bourbon barrel aged one's quite sweet. Yeah, it's it's really good. Oh my, really fruity. Sorry. Goodness gracious! <laughs> See, I'm just leaning more into this wiener character. I don't like. No, it. I I think most of our listeners are are riding that third wave. I think everybody's going. Yeah. No, I don't know. I think a lot of people gave up on it a long time ago. Maybe I'm holding. Maybe this is like some kind of symbol that I'm holding on to my past no. or something. No, I think you're. I think you're more like every other thirty-year-old in the world. But did you like? Did you try that coffee that is that cats eat it and they poop it out and then they make coffee out of the poop? I have actually tried that. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> but I got a, a friend brought it back like kind of as a joke. For, they were a friend was traveling and they brought it back for me. Um, it wasn't that special, I didn't think. Was it like, you're like, hmm, it tastes like a cat caca. I think it's actually monkeys. "Mm." Oh, it was monkeys. Yeah, so these monkeys are just really good at choosing, apparently. (laughs) They're really good (laughs) good at choosing choosing the best bean. And then (laughs) they wait until the monkeys poop them out, and then they go and sort through their poop (laughs) and find all the beans to collect them, and they're really expensive. (laughs) I love it. These monkeys, they're just really good at choosing. 
<laughs> so we only we only use the beans that they chose. But here's the problem: they eat them. <laughs> so so funny about that. Yeah. Oh man. Should we take a break and then we'll get into our thoughts on Karen Lowell? Let's do it. All right. After the break, coming up, Sufjan Stevens' 2015 masterpiece, Carrie and Lowell. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's Justin and Jordan. And we're talking about Carrie and Lowell, which uh, between Age of Odds, there was five years, and Sufjan didn't seem to do much. And then we find out in 2012, I believe, his mother passes away, and he comes out with this incredible, cohesive album that is lyrically vulnerable and invites us into the depth of his mourning and it's incredibly personal but also a huge departure from age of odds so it's not like there really isn't any carry there's not that much carryover of sound or anything like that and we're really walking through uh, probably some of the most personal work an artist can put out and i must say jordan I don't feel bad about calling this a masterpiece. I really think this album is a masterpiece. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. It's my favorite Sufjan album, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is really, really, really good. It has and longevity. It's, it's immediate, but it has longevity. And yeah, it's the best. And one thing I noticed today is it's so cohesive. You can't really talk about it as particular songs because i feel like as a whole it just fits together fits together so well Mm -hmm. and i find even separating it into songs or analyzing songs it's like this is a full cohesive album that fits together perfectly see there's my there's that hipster justin i love <laughs> See, it's not it's all like, lost. I don't it's even still in like. There. I don't even like to separate albums into different track numbers. It's all just one piece of art to me. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, and um, and it just stands on its own. But why don't we just start here, Jordan? So, it's 2015. Um, the you know Donald Duck is not president yet. <laughs> you know, um, this album comes out. Tell me about where you were when you heard this and what your experience was getting your hands on it for the first time. Yeah, so I remember it had come out, and I remember that I had heard um, No Shade in the Shadow of the Cross. Yeah. And I remember being like, oh, yes, please, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, but for some, I don't know, I don't know why, just because I... Uh, yeah, maybe it wasn't just a... I'm just not very good at, like, diligent listening. I hadn't listened to it yet. And I think about a month later, or maybe it was pretty soon after. Anyway, uh, I played a show here in Vancouver, and it was for CBC for a radio show we were performing. And um, me and Simon, who plays drums for me, and Brian, who plays cello, 
we were sitting in Brian's car. I think we were we I think we got there early or something, and we were waiting to be let in. And Brian was like, "I have the new Sufjan," and he put it on his iPod. Mm. And I I was just like right away I was like, "Yep, this is gonna be big for me. This is gonna mm. this is gonna change things for me." And uh, yeah, and then I just I. You know, the, I, I would say that there's a couple records I have that I listen to a lot when I'm traveling, mm. and this is one of them. And they have a, like a special place in my heart because I, I don't know, it just feels like hopeful but still introverted. Um, because I like to listen to introverted music when I'm, yeah, well, most of the time, to be honest. Um, so that was yeah, that was my experience. What about you? Yeah. Yeah, very introverted, very, yeah. This morning I was listening to it in the shower. I put a little Bluetooth speaker on top of my shower, you know, and I'm just getting real introspective. Just, I'm feeling the lyrics. Oh, and, I don't um, like where this is going. <laughs> yeah, I'm just fully in a full wetsuit. <laughs> I like to say that so no one imagines me naked in the shower. I'm showering in a wetsuit. Um and Courtney bursts through the door and she says, Justin, get out of the shower. I got to get ready. And I just thought, I just thought, Courtney, I'm, I'm, you don't realize I'm in a moment here. Yeah. And she's like, I'm actually trying to get the kids to school. You, you selfish idiot. I'm just like taking a long shower listening to Soup Josh. She's getting the kids ready for school. That was my morning this morning. But no, okay, so 2015, I remember... Two tracks came out first, and I can't remember which ones, but I remember listening to them and like you just feeling like, oh, wow, this is, oh, man, I'm really feeling this. And then quite my biggest memories of this album is in 2015, I became pastor of this church in 2013. It was an incredibly hard uh, two years for me just figuring out how to handle kind of a the burden of pastoring a church and not really knowing how to wear the mantle very well. And so every Friday, kind of as a saving grace from the pressure, I would just take Fridays off. I'd wake up and I'd go sit in Fish Creek Library here in Calgary, and I'd just find a chair. And I just remember I'd just put Carrie and Lowell, the whole album, on my headphones, and I'd just sit alone in this library. And on Friday mornings, a group of... Um, like there was a group of of uh, mentally disabled adults that would come in and they would kind of just surround me in this library and I just found it so comforting and and so beautiful and so life-giving to my soul and I can't even say necessarily I really knew the depths of what Sufjan was writing about but I could just just that soft introspection and I would kind of browse the library for books and and I would just have a pile of books and it it almost felt like this this moment I had to stop and and um, care for like kind of the hurting parts of my soul. And this album was so a part of that time mm-hmm. that it, it almost became this once it's on, that means that I'm sitting down and I'm breathing and I'm I'm not striving anymore. And yeah. And then once you get into the lyrics and you're invited into just the personal stories of Sufjan, it just even becomes more powerful, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, that was my experience with, with the album. Really heavy rotation, so I've listened to it a lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so that, 
so my initial thoughts was was just swept away by it and it, it is like it's a folk album isn't it like it's almost more a folk album than any of his albums yeah you're right like a james taylor or or like i don't know like it it he he sufyan jokingly says it's easy listening which he's kind of self-deprecating but it's it's kind of like it's it's folky but it doesn't even sound like illinois or even seven swans like it's different yeah i i don't know like i i always have a hard time the the folk definition is so broad to me like this i i never really i know that sufyan pins himself as a as kind of a folk artist but i think it's mostly just in the instrumentation he chooses i actually don't think that the songs to me folk music kind of follows a certain form yeah um and there there are there are a few ways that it's expressed but i usually like i know when something feels like a folk song like we've been watching this show called the detectorists have you ever heard of it no oh. you guys just watch bbc don't you yeah it's a bbc but it's a uh, johnny what's his name johnny johnny flynn is his name and he does okay. all the the music for it and i hear this i'm like this is folk music like it has this kind mm-hmm. of like um, it starts going up, and it and it kind of has these stanzas that that kind of complete, you know. That to me yeah. feels really folky. Sufyan feels almost kind of like it's like his his form is not folky. He just chooses folky instruments. Is that a weird distinction it, to make? No, I think it's good because these days folk like you you get encompassed in that genre. Yeah, you know? yeah. You get you get put in that genre too. Yeah. I wonder what it means now. It's almost just kind of like an all-encompassing singer-songwriter guitar type yeah. music. Yeah, it's singer-songwriter. Like at this point, I kind of prefer being called just a singer-songwriter because I think it just makes more sense. Like some of my songs don't have are just piano or you know I don't know. It doesn't feel even, folky. You know, folk fest here in Calgary. Like even the lineup of a folk fest is so like not folk. Yeah, totally. I remember seeing Broken Social Scene at a at a folk fest once. Yeah, it, it's almost just become synonymous with like a new indie type music. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, but now they say indie folk too. Yeah, which I quite like. But yeah, it, the uh, the categorizing is a little obnoxious. Yeah, indie folk. Yeah, <sighs> we don't we are we're not about categories here on. That was the worst podcast ever. We subvert the categories. Down with genre. Yeah, it's like, try to put us in a box? I don't think so. I'm going to bust through that box. <laughs> my, you will see my fist just bursting through that cardboard box. Yeah. Rules are only and, made to be broken. Yeah. We should and, just do uh, the rest of the, the podcast episode just speaking in cliches. <laughs> <laughs> but in all honesty, like, Sufi, yeah... Sufjan um, is kind of genre-defying in, in a way, yeah. which makes it kind of interesting. But th- this album is interesting. Why don't we get into a little bit of the subject matter? So mm-hmm. I mentioned Sufjan Stevens' mother passes away in, in 2012. And we've gotten glimpses of his, his family relationships through albums like Michigan and Illinois and things like that. Particularly Romulus is a song that is kind of a precursor to this album kind of letting you in on his relationship with his mom mm-hmm. so uh his mom leaves his family when he's one 
and, and kind of just leaves and leaves the kids with Sufyan's dad. And, and so Sufyan doesn't really have a great relationship with his mom, um, often doesn't know where she is and things like that. And so this album kind of, it's called Carrie, which is Sufyan's mom, and Lowell, which is, she marries Lowell in the 1980s and has about a five-year marriage. And it seems like Lowell grounds Carrie enough where Sufyan has the best memories, I think, of his life, going to Oregon, visiting his mom when she's married to Lowell. And I think that really informs this album as far as the fond memories is these Oregon trips and probably only two or three years of visiting over the summers and things like that. So you get lines like, when I was three, three, maybe four, she left us at a video store. And, and you know, that's obviously like very sad. <laughs> but you, you get these little glimpses into what it was like for Sufyan growing up and, and having not really having much of a relationship with his mom, but also such a longing and a fondness and a love for Carrie that is just so heartbreaking and beautiful. Mm. Yeah, well put. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, what's funny actually that you mentioned that he left him at the video store. I have this friend, um, <laughs> ex-Simon, who loves this record too, and he's like, he just, he was telling me about how he hates reading Sufjan Stevens reviews because why does everybody talk about the video store? It, like yeah, well, there is, it there is so out. many, there are so many images in the record, but someone's Sufjan, Sufjan is sad about his mom, especially that time <laughs> that she left him in the video store. <laughs> I don't know. I get, it does really stand out. It, like, it's true. Like I always remember that line too, but it is, it is funny how everybody always mentions that, that lyric. Yeah, it's that lyric, and then it's I. You checked your text while I masturbated. That's the other one. That, yeah, it's just the lyric that everybody talks about. <laughs> yeah, which I think the, they're both great lines, actually. Which shocked you more when Sufyan drops the F word a bunch in Age of Odds, or when he drops the M word here? <laughs> the M word. <laughs> in I feel like so homeschooled right now. I think, it, but I, you, that word masturbation, like yeah. just hearing it, it's yeah. still, I, I still have a hard time hearing that word. <laughs> it, um, I think that probably check, checked her, you checked your text while I masturbated was more shocking, but I also very quickly was like, this is like a great way to say, like, I don't think he's saying that. He was literally like in the bathroom masturbating. Yeah, maybe, but it shows like a disconnected relationship. Yeah, like he's out kind of living a self self indulgent life, or kind of, you know, like I I almost imagine honestly that he what he's talking about is the Age of Odds tour, because yeah. it, it was a little kind of masturbatory, wasn't it? Like, it's just kind of this big kind of funny. Um, glamorous not glamorous but it, it's just a flashy show yeah. he's dancing around on stage while his you know his mom is dying right and so i wonder if that that's the context he's talking about oh that's interesting yeah everyone on the internet kind of applied it to a romantic relationship that's falling apart yeah i found that a lot in internet forums yeah which that's fine. I uh, everyone should interpret it their own way. I I feel a little bit kind of like 
there's always kind of like people get annoyed when people talk about this stuff as if it's really always religious or something. Yeah. But, and may, maybe they're right. Maybe they're right to make those criticisms, but I, I, I don't know, I guess for, as someone who kind of felt this sense of camaraderie with Sufyan growing up as like a, you know, evangelical Christian who yeah. also wanted to write songs or who loved music. And, uh, I always like the lyrics that really kind of, I engage with are, yeah, a lot of the spiritual ones. Like, my, honestly, my favorite song on the record is John, My Beloved. Yeah, I love John, My Beloved, too. It's so uh, desperate and sad and relatable, especially at the end. And how he's talking about fossils the whole time, and you get the sense that he's, on the one hand, saying, like, is this whole, is my whole faith just a fossil? Like, mm -hmm. is it just, uh, you know, something from the past that I kind of drag up to give my life meaning? Or is yeah. it like a fossil? I think he talked about like a fossil in the sun. Is it like a, a fossil that lives? Is, is, does it have something that can, in a good way, bring meaning? And, but he never answers the questions, you know? He's just kind of like sits with them. And, and then at the end he goes, Jesus, I need you. Please save me from fossils that fall on my head. Yeah. Well, Which is, wow. I, I feel like... This, I would even just say, this is one of the best records that faith is being um, naturally and authentically lived out. Sin like, since Seven Swans. Like, I, almost, I just feel like, to me, this is somebody that can talk about faith that I am so compelled by. Because he, the way that he does it on this album is so honest. Mm -hmm. And even... Uh, even the song No Shade in the Shadow of the Cross. Like, I think, I think it wasn't until a couple months ago that I actually really started to think, what does that mean, No Shade in the Shadow of the Cross? Like, what is he saying? Yeah. And is he saying, like, there is no comfort? Like, I'm not finding any shade in the Shadow of the Cross. There's no comfort. I'm not finding really a consolation right now yeah. in my faith. In that's the what story I always took of, it as, yeah. Do you think that's what he's saying? Yeah, I think that... It's, it's like you're in a desert and the sun's bearing down and you're, you try to sit in the shadow of the cross, but there's no shade there for you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It, I just, I, it's, it's impossible, I think, to critique this album because it's like, how could you critique the grammar of somebody's journal about their mom dying? Like, you, like I don't think this album is to be critiqued at all. I think it's just to be... <laughs> appreciated <laughs> yeah. so going from there highlights and lowlights what do you mean? <laughs> just kidding this song sucks <laughs> um, um well one thing no. i wanted to point out um is that um i think this is a great this record is a great example of sufyan um, mastery of writing really long melodies and chord progressions so mm -hmm. um Basically, like, it, it all comes down to phrasing. So if you listen to, like, a, a regular kind of pop song, you have these, like, repetition of phrases. And that's just part of songwriting. So it's, like, Call Me Maybe is, like, And now you're in my way. And 
end of phrase, right? Right. Um, but for Sufyan, it's like, um, now that I fill into your arms. And you'd expect maybe he's just going to go back to that. But he doesn't. He keeps going. The melody keeps going. So long, like such long phrasing. But oh, the, wow, the, yeah. the beauty of it is that it's still kind of catchy, you know? So yeah. what I think it does is it gives the it gives the songs like a complexity that lets them kind of stand the test of time. Because when you hear a phrase just over and over again, you get sick of it more quickly. But if yeah. it has more content, it has more complexity and so it it uh it it lasts longer um does that make sense yeah i love that insight and of course i i wouldn't have got there without without you and and that kind of musical insight pizzazz yeah huh pizzazz musical yeah pizzazz. you bring the pizzazz yeah but just to flesh out the background is um his sufyan's mom carrie struggled with depression schizophrenia and alcoholism and she eventually uh, dies in 2012 of stomach cancer so Sufyan describes his childhood as not being very nurturing he says it, it was really run more like a business he says they actually would call their parents by their first name and he says there was a lot of camaraderie amongst siblings but it wasn't it wasn't like a really loving relationship but as she is dying he he i i'm pretty sure it's in oregon he flies to oregon and it's in the icu and there's machines everywhere and this comes up in one of his songs and and he basically has to say goodbye to this figure that he's so deeply in love with and so deeply hurt by and so we have this album which also addresses the aftermath of sufyan morning where he talks about this dysfunctional thing. And this is really in a Pitchfork interview, which is almost like just ne necessity to read alongside of this album. But did you read that, George? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have, kidding. yeah. Okay, yeah, you did. It'd be funny if you're like, no. Um, but he talked about how in the aftermath of his grieving, at first he was just very like matter of fact, like, okay, you know, what should we do with the body? It even comes up in the song. But then he says... Afterwards, he said, I would get really manic and I would unravel in public and, and I would see a dead bird on the subway tracks and I would just lose it. And he said, in a very dysfunctional way, he, would, he felt connected to his mom by being dysfunctional in the way that she was dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. So he starts using alcohol and drugs and sleeping around as a way almost to feel close to his mom. And in the interview, he goes, I know that's so effed up, but that's just what I felt. And yeah, that, so it's so, it's deeply sad. He wasn't like this as a teenager. He didn't have a phase where he went off the rails as a teen. 
And he says in the interview, he says, it's kind of inexcusable for a 40-year-old to do this. But he says, that's what I did. Is He just, he has this moment. And, and you know, it's interesting because I've had moments like that where um, I, I was very straight and narrow as a teen. But I just noticed, you know, in my 30s, as a pastor on a day off, I, I'd go and smoke a cigarette just because I wanted to feel... Not trapped in a, not trapped as, or I just wanted to do something rebellious, you know? Like, there is something surprising. Yeah, I know. And um, I hated it. I was like, why why do people do this? Like, I hated it. But I just, like, I just remember being like, for one day, I just don't want to be seen as a pastor, so I'm going to go sit on this bench and smoke a cigarette. Yeah. Did you have a rebellious phase, Jor? Mm. Yeah. When I was a teenager, yeah. But it was a little bit different. Like, I was still kind of open with my parents. Like, I wasn't sneaking around or anything. But there was a time. And I think even just after I moved out, you know, that kind of, like, sense of freedom. We were like, I can do whatever I want. And I, like, lived with my friends. And I just, like, drank, like, five nights a week. And, yeah. But, um, I don't know. I don't really feel rebellious anymore actually i feel the opposite of that i feel like i want like order and i want to like submit to something the older i get yeah yeah that's that's interesting yeah i've i feel sometimes i sway between the two Mm. i think sometimes feeling like i don't fit in amongst these pastors so why don't i go ahead and lean into that and i'll do things that aren't pastorly like like smoke a cigarette like smoke a cigarette or have a Suvian Stevens podcast. <laughs> or there's a lot of peace in just saying, let me lean into this culture and this place and let me, you know, let me be like everybody else. Sometimes there's comfort in that too. Yeah. But um, so it is, it's deeply sad to kind of, Sufyan's really letting us into these really deep personal stories and personal feelings about his mom dying. And death is the biggest theme of, mm-hmm. of the album. See, actually, I read a thing that I thought was really profound, and it actually said that forgiveness is the biggest theme of the album. Oh, I mean, yeah, I'll take that, too. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's true. I think that it, the whole time he's like, I mean, not the, not the whole time. I, don't, I think he wanted to avoid it just being like, I think he talks about that in the Pitchfork interview. Like, he wanted to avoid it just being like, oh, my mom was so terrible, but I forgive her, you know. He wanted it to be, like, an actual, like, ode to her and and to celebrate her. Um, I think that he didn't want it to just be kind of like, my mom was terrible, and now I forgive her. I don't don't think it, it was, that's what he wanted it to be. But I think that it was kind of like, that's what I take away from it. I think if it was just about death... And kind of like darkness and the darkness of grappling with death, it wouldn't be as poignant as it is because you do get the sense that they were like really estranged. And he's kind of made peace with her through this process in his heart. Yeah. I think you're totally right. Like, uh, I think the problem with a lot of Christian records is they're saying what they think they should say. Yeah. Sufyan's not saying what he thinks he should say. The album has a lot of space for the faults of Carrie. 
but it also isn't an album of bitterness yeah. and resentment. Right. So I think what you end up getting is an actual authentic forgiveness, not a CCM Christian music, I should forgive my mom. Or I experience this in Christianity quite frequently in my work as a pastor. It's like, well, I should forgive this person that did horrible abuse. And they almost say it as if they're not allowed to at all acknowledge or feel the pain that the person inflicted. And I think Sufjan actually does... I think that's why this is a masterpiece, is you never feel like he's forcing himself to do something. He's really just dealing with it all. But there's goodness in Sufyan's heart that in the end it just comes forward, that he loves his mom, he doesn't resent his mom, mm-hmm. and he he forgives her, and ultimately all he wanted was to be with her. Yeah. And that's so beautiful. Like, I can't even explain what it means to to hear Sufyan just say, I just wanted to be near you, mm-hmm. you know? And you've seen, you saw him perform this album live too. Like that's come up on the podcast before, but I wonder what were your thoughts? Because obviously at this point he's recorded it, he's performed it a bunch, but what was your thoughts as he's singing these songs that are so personal, like so personal? What What was it like seeing him in a room full of hundreds of people? Yeah, it was it was really special. Like I feel like that was the most important of the like I think I've seen him three times. It was that Age of Odds, and then I saw him play. I think for he did like kind of like a sacred tour. It was like the one with wings, where he played in like mostly churches. Um, oh, cool. And it was like Seven Swans and more of his like spiritual songs. Anyway. But I think that the Carrion Lowell, Carrion Lowell was the most important one to th- see because it was such a, a different interpretation, actually, of the record. Like, everything was kind of... Re- if you Have you watched the live YouTube video of this? Sh- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was even just watching it this morning. Yeah. It's like a... They're completely different interpretations of the songs. They're actually more elaborate interpretations. I thought this was the most important one for me to see because uh, it was just a, a different... A completely different angle on the record and you can sit it, it felt like a funeral a little bit it felt yeah. like everyone was really tapped into this story and this grief um but also it was really cool too like <laughs> just like the visuals and um the choices they make and and some of actually it gets really bombastic in some places like really loud um it's an interesting yeah. tour because he it, it's like he's not doing he's not doing Illinois tracks, you know. Like it's almost like he's respecting Carrie and Lowell. You can't just do Carrie and Lowell and then do Chicago. Like he does the tour. In essence, he starts with the that great uh, rearrangement of the Yapapapia from I forget what it's called from Michigan. But then it just kind of goes straight into Carrie and Lowell. Um, and you're right, the the live album like is so good too. Those yeah. arrangements and yeah. everything. Did he do the on the hotline bling encore for you? I don't actually remember, and I think I would remember that, so I'm guessing no. Yeah, I wonder if that was just special for the recording. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um should we get into some of the songs and what they talk about? There are no songs on this record, Justin. It's just one complete work. 
I know, it's true. <laughs> well, why don't we get into this complete work? Why don't we, um, just for the sake of the conversation, why don't we separate this complete work into 11 different segments? <laughs> <laughs> but just for this exercise. Yeah. So here's the first song, Death with Dignity. Mm -hmm. So Im immediately you're taken right back to Sufjan just plucking a guitar. And there's no drums on this record. There is on the live record. But every song talks about his mom. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about Death with Dignity is that he finds hopeful notes in the midst of it all. Well, isn't... Um death with dignity like kind of like a an american thing about like it was like a first step towards euthanasia say that again wasn't death with dignity like a 90s uh kind of movement or a bill that was kind of some of the first steps towards um like kind of chosen like end of life like euthanasia in america oh interesting I'm yeah sure. i'm not familiar yeah but I'm, certainly i'm pretty sure that is what it was Actually, it's interesting listening to Sufjan's record. It really reminded me of the movie Wild about Cheryl Strayed, whose mother dies, and then she goes and walks the Pacific Crest Trail. But there's a scene in the movie where she basically goes to visit her mom, and, and then the nurse just says, I put ice on her eyes. She wanted to donate her eyes. And then she kind of has to run in and, and see that her mom has died. Like, for some reason, that scene just almost helps me realize like a little bit of what Sufjan had to go through to kind of sit and watch his mom die because you know for us thank god we, we haven't had to do that yet but I know you know Jor I know you wrote your record Javelin kind of after your mother's um, cancer diagnosis and things mm -hmm. like that so I know you've kind of worked through some of this yourself do you like do you find do you find solidarity like with javelin and with this record like do you do you find there was a similar thing that you you did when your mom was battling cancer um like was did i feel sorry could, could you rephrase the question what do you mean by that like when you listen to this record does it make you think of your mom and does it make you think of those moments you were afraid that she could die and you know like does it bring you back to that space i think it did for a while um and you know actually um this record i i mentioned before that my parents like sufian and i think specifically this record uh, this record mm -hmm. i think means a lot to my dad because his mom passed away right around the time that it came out hmm. um under really really terrible circumstances um and so i i do think yeah i do think it did i think when my mom had cancer it was a lot more felt like a struggle it wasn't i didn't feel close to death i i felt like the focus was all on survival actually mm -hmm. and so um and also just appreciating her and being like have have we have we done enough like have has is this story ready to be done you know mm. wow um but so yeah, I do remember finding some solace in it. Yeah, in answer to your question. And 
what song have you what song on javelin kind of directly you wrote directly about your mom's cancer yeah it's called delilah and it's about yeah. the the moment or not the moment but the the we uh went to the hairdresser and she shaved my mom's head and that was oh, kind of wow. felt like a weird it was very weird because my mom is a redhead and that's like always been her thing you know hmm. just like big red locks and then they were all on the floor and it was very jarring and strange and she was trying to be kind of she was trying to be just humorous about it but you could tell she was sad and yeah um yeah it's called delilah well it's interesting it reminds me in in this interview sufyan says you know at worst this record is probably just seen as as like indulgent but he says at best hopefully people can find themselves in the story Mm-hmm. And and it's like comforting to others. And I, I actually think this is the risk of art is like it's incredibly vulnerable. And even I just thought Sufjan probably would hate to listen to our podcast because it's just analyzing his art. Right. And why would anyone want to listen to that? Well, it's not. You, an, I mean, mostly it's just us talking about ourselves. Let's be honest. And I like to think he would love that part. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah, he just turns it off once we get to his music. He's just like, I just want to hear what Justin and Jordan are up to. <laughs> but I, I was just thinking, but the risk of art is to to be vulnerable and to put yourself out there and to have people misunderstand you. But the the flip side of that is that people get to find comfort in what you found comfort in, or at least just get to find a voice alongside of you that says, me too, I'm here with you. And it's interesting because um, in 2015, so the same year, um, I had a a friend of mine pass away from cancer. And I I remember when she died, I, I was also kind of the family pastor at the time, so I had to, it was very interesting because the day that I found out she passed away, I had to start working on funeral plans and, and helping the family put on funeral plans. And then once that was done, I just remember sitting in my car and I just put on 4th of July. Mm. And I just remember feeling like like I need someone to sit with to to feel this pain. And, and it was almost like... F- Fourth of July became almost like a personification. Like, let's just sit now that all the planning is done and actually grieve and mm. and I actually I just think that song Fourth of July is quite transcendent. And mm. even reading, you know, I, I didn't quite realize until this morning it's actually an imagined dialogue he's having with his mom. Mm. Like it's it's him talking to his mom and his mom responds. And I didn't realize until this morning that even in the song, he does more falsetto when his mom is responding, almost like he's in her voice. Hmm. Let's and, listen to that one a and, little bit. Yeah, let's let's listen to Fourth of July. Thank you. 
So it's basically like the response that he writes for his mom is, what did you learn from the Tillamook burn in the 4th of July? <sighs> it's actually hard not to cry. <laughs> it's hard not to talk. It's hard to like be funny about this record, isn't it? Hmm. Um, but essentially his mom's saying like the Tillamook and the other, the other thing maybe, and I've said this before, but this is like, this is an Oregon record. <laughs> like there's references to Oregon in the same way that he makes references to Michigan and Illinois. Right. But the Tillamook burn was this forest that had infamous fire, like forest fires, but now is completely restored. You know, it's hmm. completely grown back. Mm-hmm. And so for his mom to say, what did you learn from the Tillamook burn? is like, we're all going to die. You know, there every... And when he says in another song, every road leads to an end, and it's this almost this coming to to grapples with the comforting fact that this is the inevitability of us all. But what did you learn from the Tillamook burn, which is death also brings life. Mm -hmm. And I think there are little allusions, I think, to resurrection or at least to hope and, and to things beyond death. Mm-hmm. And the 4th of July just being like explosions in the sky that are here and they're gone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then we're all going to die. It, it's just, it's such a profound song. It's, it's almost even hard to talk about. Another thing I read is when he plays it live, he, he leads that we're all going to die, I think, a lot longer than the album. Yeah, version. we all sang along to it. We're all going to die. Yeah. So Jordan, what's that like when you're seeing him live? And he's almost as I would actually say he's almost becoming a worship leader in a sense. He's leading a (laughs) congregation at this point in singing this refrain and accepting our mortality. Yeah. What's it like? Because I read online, a lot of people say it's like spiritual. It's significant. They almost felt like it was it was like one of the most significant moments of their life is one thing I read online. Wow. It's like being in a room with people just saying over and over, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. Yeah. I don't have any standout thoughts about it, to be honest. But I Were you just like, we're all going to die? You were just like, it was I, I don't know. I kind of feel like I think about that all the time. So, you know, like I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to die. For you, was it like... Yay, I'm not the only one thinking about mortality. Uh, there's a whole room of people now. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Did that feel good? Yeah, maybe. Um, 
Also, I was on a date with Olivia, so I was probably like just grazing her hand with my hand or something. <laughs> you were just so consumed with pretending it wasn't a date so hard that it offended yeah. her. <laughs> right. Um yeah, it, it it was it was cool. It was really special. That is it is cool, you know. I actually I think that about something like I think about that a lot and I I think about that too even uh not to get too kind of whatever religious or whatever but i think that there is this aspect to you know the christ story that kind of modern american evangelicalism misses like such a huge chunk of it and that like resurrection requires death yeah you know and everybody wants resurrection but nobody wants death and everybody wants to yeah, I guess you, you can't really see things come to life unless they die too, and that's mm-hmm. a mystery. I'm not I'm not like trying to make some kind of formula, but there's this aspect of like where, uh, yeah, I want I want resurrection, but also where do I need to die? Yeah, and what part of what part of me needs to die? Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's. I think it. we need to talk about it more. I totally agree. And there's this like philosophy idea that the immortal wish they were mortal and the mortal wish they were immortal. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like the immortal actually infinite, infinite living to some extent can be a nightmare, the, a never ending existence yeah. to the point where you're like, the temporariness of it makes it important. It makes the things real. It makes it valuable. Yeah. And I think what Sufyan comes to in Fourth of July is this thing that goes, what my mom went through, I'm coming to terms with because it's a necessity of all of us. Yeah. And if I can't accept my mom dying, then I can't accept that all of this is temporary. And I, one thing I love is in the live version, he peppers in, he just says, but we're still alive. Huh. Like, only in the live version, he, after he gets everybody to chant, we're all going to die, we're all going to die, he just goes, but we're still alive. Isn't he more like, but we're still alive? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's where I, I almost see, this is Sufjan worship leading in a sense. Like, there's, he's actually taking a congregation somewhere. And to realize their own mortality, and also to realize, but we're still alive, you know, and even in Fourth of July, where his mom says to him, "Live your life while it was while it is rife, while it is light." You know, it's like, but you're alive, Sufyan. Like, you live your life while it is rife. Like, there's, there's, it's so sad, but not without its beautiful little glimmers of authentic hope. That it's not toxic positivity. It's real grounded life that has come from his mother's death and that's why i think this this album is so beautiful Mm. is that it isn't just despair it's but it's it's also not toxic positivity which it's just very rare to come across something like this yeah are there any other tracks that uh you really stand out to you yeah. Uh, another standout, I think, is the only thing, which is, oh yeah, just like also a track. When I think about the darkness and honesty and jar, 
jarringness of this record. I think of that song in the line, the first line, the only thing that keeps me from cutting my arm, or the only thing that like basically keeps me from driving my car off the edge of this cliff <laughs> is mm. these little things, you know. Well, he starts with that. He starts with the little things, little little comforts and little things that make life good and hopeful. And then he moves into bigger ideas. It's remarkable. The only thing keeping me from driving off this cliff, isn't it just like seeing the stars? I don't remember. That's how I interpret it, is he's like, I kind of just want to be done. But there's so much... But then I look up at the sky and I, I find another reason to live, you know? And, man, when... When Sufjan's letting us into that there's substance abuse, but there's also self-harm. And, um, you know, cutting himself. And there's even... What I get is... And I should do a trigger warning here for uh, suicide. So if this is sensitive for any listeners, we're going to talk about self-harm and suicide. Um, But uh, just the idea of the crosshatch almost being like the way that he's hurting himself and in the bathtub, even, even, I don't know if Sufyan really meant this, but just going, man, could we have almost lost Sufyan to suicide? You know, but he's also showing us the things that, the only thing that, you know, he's telling us, these, these are the things that kept me alive. Um, yeah, it's remarkable. And he says, and I think faith is a huge thing that kept him alive. Yeah. So, you know, you can be a critic of faith for sure. That there's room for that, but for Sufyan, I think his faith actually stepped in as a, a reason to live. Yeah, and to still have hope. Yeah. And that what do you that he he says a line? I don't think it's in this song. It's in No Shade of the Shadow of the Cross. He says, "There's there's blood on that blade. Fuck me, I'm falling apart." Yeah. I don't know, man. Some dark. <laughs> I can't think. I truly can't think of a sadder lyric. And actually, I told Courtney that lyric in the kitchen, and I just started crying. It's just because you just get this sense of, of looking at how of Sufyan looking at where how low he is, and seeing blood on a blade, and saying, "I'm falling apart," mm. you know. And yeah, it. Gosh. I just can't imagine being that vulnerable and putting and inviting everybody else in on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I don't know. I don't even want to speculate. And I, there's a there's a sense. I think this is kind of the way it is with a lot of Sufyan's work where he doesn't tell you and you kind of know that he doesn't tell you on purpose, you know? Yeah. And so. Yeah. It sounds like, to me, it just sounds like he's hurt. He's, he's doing things to cause. Uh, he's doing being self-destructive, mm-hmm. and he's starting to see the blood on the blade from that self-destruction. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know necessarily think it's literal, but that, yeah, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, that it's like a metaphor for self-destruction and being like, oh wow, I'm falling apart. This may be maybe a moment moment of realization, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've been vulnerable about our own mental health struggles as well. And, and I think hearing that you can, 
I can relate to both Sufyan reaching a, a bottom, and I also can relate to him finding those moments of hope, like when he says, my brother had a daughter. You know, like, and I think it, especially after such a difficult year, is acknowledging all the grief and mourning, mm-hmm. but also acknowledging there's still a lot of beautiful things around us. There's still, there's still babies being born, there's still the constellations in the sky. There's still reasons to keep going. And I don't know, maybe it's just because of the year that we've had, but this this album just kind of hit me new this morning hmm. just listening to it. Hmm. Yeah. Are there any other tracks we want to talk about? I don't think so. I think we've kind of covered a lot of a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because um, it's called Carrie and Lowell, mm-hmm. and Lowell is uh, his stepdad, a brief stepdad. But Lowell is a really interesting character where he's not in the song a lot or in the album a lot. There's a song called Carrie and Lowell. Yeah. But it, did you read the? There's an interview with Lowell Brams about this album. Oh, I think it's Pitchfork. Oh, really? No, I haven't read that. Well, it's in, interesting. Somebody, I say it's interesting so much, but uh, it is interesting, is somebody wrote about uh, opening up the album and seeing Sufjan as a little boy eating a banana. There's this picture of him eating a banana, and and the reviewer noticed that his mom is looking down and not looking at Sufjan. And they just, the reviewer kind of said, you know, we can see that she's not really there with Sufjan. And what ended up happening is Lowell Brams wrote the reviewer and said, no, she's looking at one of Sufjan's siblings. There were three other kids she was taking care of. Hmm. And she said, it's incredible how much Lowell wanted us to know that she wasn't a bad person. Hmm. Even though, you know, they got divorced. And, and, and one thing I love about Lowell in this album is that Lowell created for Sufyan the ability to be a child of his mother. And Lowell kind of becomes the father figure, the parental figure for Sufyan Stevens. And Lowell is starts asthmatic kitty with Sufyan. Like yeah. and Lowell kind of becomes he even said when they got divorced and Carrie kind of um left him. He said, I still felt like the bridge from from her kids to her. Hmm. You know, so even though Lowell's not like explicitly in all the lyrics as much as Carrie is, you realize that Lowell is the reason why Sufjan even has fond memories of Carrie. Yeah. I felt like it was almost like a tribute to to him to to make to put him in the title or um like a sign of kind of respect, you know, it's like to honor him, him, you might say. Um, yeah. Also, it might be weird if the album's just called Carrie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, it's interesting because in the interview, they ask Lowell, they go, you know, how do you feel about this album? And he just said, every time I listen to it, I would cry. And, and he says, it's not that way now. I think it's really beautiful. But he said, at the first couple concerts, there were like projections of home videos of Carrie. Hmm. And he said, it was, it was, 
it was really painful but really beautiful to kind of mm. have this tribute I think to someone they that was complicated but that they all loved <laughs> you know it's just yeah it's just interesting what it for uh, Lowell to just kind of be a part of this project as as a you know and to watch himself in the stories and he also says I don't remember Sufjan being left in a video store and he was he was a little defensive to say that wouldn't have happened if they were with us in Oregon I would have known about it hmm so Lowell really does seem like a great guy. <laughs> yeah. You love Lowell. Well, to me, Lowell is Lowell is this beautiful character that no matter what your relationship is to your biological parents, you will there will always be a father or a mother for you in this world, even if it's not your blood. And I think there's something beautiful about this stepdad that is Sufjan's, that, that has been like Sufjan's companion and friend and father figure. Because even in the interview, Sufjan says, this is back in 2015, he says, I don't really have contact with my dad. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, I remember reading that actually and being like, Suf, you should make a man. Didn't you learn anything from this? <laughs> Well, he also says, like, make amends with your loved ones. That, yeah. that was really a big, he, like, emphatically says in the interview, like, please do that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's, sorry, well, that's not to judge, Suviana. I know every every relationship is very complex. <laughs> uh, well, and I just, well, I thought, like, I remember thinking at the time being like, oh, like, his, I mean, he should, I mean, I wonder what's going to happen with his, him and his dad now. Now that he's been through all this and kind of made peace and with his mom. Yeah. And and sadly, his dad passed away last year. Yeah. 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 So any final thoughts on this album, Jor? Anything we think we missed? Um, no, I think it's just really pretty and uh, it's one of my faves. Well, that was Carrie and Lowell. You know, I hope that uh, we covered it uh, well. But if not, <laughs> you can let us know. Uh, you can email us. Um, but yeah, thanks, Jor. I, I, to be honest, it is, you know, how do you talk about Carrie and Lowell? It's, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. It is hard because it's so personal. And I also hate kind of like, especially when it's really sensitive content, like um, asserting my own speculation into other people's stories. But. I think, yeah. I think we were, we were careful. And it, yeah. And it feels kind of offensive even to bring our opinions into it. Yeah. Thanks everybody for tuning in. See us next time as we talk about drum roll. <laughs> Sufjan's next record in his discography, which is, I don't know, the planetarium. All right. Next time, the planetarium. Oh, we also have a special episode coming up. Yeah. But stay tuned for that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Okay, everybody. Bye. Thanks for coming. Bye. Now I want to be near you. What's left is only bittersweet. For the rest of my life, admitting the best. Behind me, now I'm dry.
watching the world run go away What's the point of singing songs If they'll never even hear